Let us pray together. O God of grace and love, we come into your presence this morning with joy. We come into your presence with all the earth, worshiping you with gladness and singing with joy. We acknowledge that you are God. You made us, and we are yours. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and we enter into your gates this morning with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. We give you thanks and praise for your name, for you are good. Your unfailing love continues forever, and your faithfulness reaches all generations. God, your love is everlasting. Your love is patient and kind. Your love is full of grace. And God, since you are love, we acknowledge that you are everlasting, that you are patient and kind, that you are full of grace. God, we admit sometimes it's hard for us to believe these words about you. We sometimes believe that you are a harsh God, a God who is vengeful and whose love is conditioned upon our action. And so this morning we ask that you would show us your true self. That you would pierce our hearts with the truth of who you are, the God of the universe, who loved us so much that you came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived with us and worked with us and cried with us and died for us. And how can we comprehend that love, O oh God? How can we understand how much you love us? Give us just a glimpse. Give us just a taste of that knowledge. Show us the truth about your love for us. Show us the truth about how your love for us does not change based on what we do or do not do. Show us the truth that you are not just one who loves, but you are love, and love has shown up today in this place and in this hour. And God, forgive us Forgive us for not acknowledging that you are love. Forgive us for not living in your love. Forgive us for not loving as you would have us love. And hear our silent prayer of confession this morning. We pray in the name of the one who showed us love, Jesus Christ. Amen. Through Christ, God has rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He sets us free through the Son and forgives our sins. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be to God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You have a soul, and there are a lot of descriptions and theology surrounding its meaning, but soul has to do with our spiritual essence and our will, the soul. And there are two words, truths, that not only describe the soul, but are contained within the soul, spirit and love. 
Holy Spirit and sacrificial love reside in the soul. And we know some things about the soul. The soul can actually wither and die, which is a horrible thing to contemplate. And as we think about it, we might think, how does the soul wither and die? Is it because God imposes rules and standards on us that we don't quite meet? No, it's just the opposite. You know what makes the soul wither and die? Believing that we have a God who imposes standards and has hoops for us to jump through and has standards of, of perfection that we cannot reach. If we believe that that is our God, if we believe that we can't get there because we're just not good enough, that's what withers the soul. Because the truth is, spirit and love, the soul can expand and be cherished and grow if it's fed by the love and the grace of the Holy Spirit. The soul can be and is often tempted, and I'm talking about anyone and everyone's soul. It's not a sign of soul weakness to experience temptation. Sometimes I think people believe it is, that a strong person with strong character will not be tempted. But as Christ was tempted in the wilderness, it's safe to say that nothing could be farther from the truth. Temptation occurs because of the nature of his soul. It was a soul and is a soul that is filled with the Holy Spirit and love. And it's a soul that is a tremendous threat to evil in the world. Temptation, as this, in this passage, as it relates to Christ, and in our lives as it relates to us, is the vehicle for the definition. How he and we react to temptation actually defines who we are. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned newly baptized from the Jordan where the theophany that identified him had occurred, where a dove and a sky being ripped open and the voice of God, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, had occurred. But what did this mean? He was being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to find out, to discover, to define his earthly ministry. Led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, Jesus was famished. And I'm a firm believer that the soul expands with the contrast in life. For instance, is there anything better than a feast when we have known hunger? Can we cherish sunshine if we have never even known what gloom is? When I lived in San Diego, which was where I lived at first when I first moved to California, after about six weeks, I really had a hard time with it. See, it got disturbing because there just was too much sun. Now, let me explain. I longed for the delicate sunshine and soft breeze that came only after the rain. There was no rain. That soft, delicate breeze could only happen with the contrast. Blue piercing sky and 75 to 80 degrees every day knocked the sense of nuance right out of my system. Wilderness is contrast. 
It's a contrast that prepared Jesus for ministry. Spiritual growth requires that we go there to the barren place, to the empty place, which is the precursor to joy. And when you consider those times when we are most aware of spiritual formation and growth, the times when we have utter dependence on God and are crying out to God, it usually doesn't occur in the full times. I have been so privileged lately to hear as a result of the women's retreat and then some elder visits, your testimonies and every single one of them say, I got to the point where I had to cry out to God and my life has never been the same. The full times do occur. And in those times, we do pour out our hearts in gratitude. But the real transformation and soul expansion is connected with wilderness and is connected with suffering. Someone told me once that true growth could take place without pain, like at the birth of his child. The beauty and wonder of it all reminded him that there was plenty of joy to be had and I reminded him there's plenty of pain to be had in childbirth. You just didn't experience it. <laughs> the soul's contentment, the evil one will tell us, is directly related to knowing no hunger, no want, no aches, no pain. Well, that's called heaven. That's not this life. Jesus was famished, physically in need, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Because according to the evil one, discomfort, physical and spiritual discomfort, is to be avoided at all costs. And whereas that is kind of true, evil deals in partial truths. And one of our cultural weaknesses is fear of suffering, scared to death of pain unwillingness to go through the middle of the pain. And any good psychologist will tell you avoiding and denying pain will simply cause more pain and more suffering. You own it, you go through it, you let it go. But our world says if you are in the least bit hungry, you must eat and you must eat now. And we don't even explore what true hunger even feels like. But to provide balance to all these comments I'm making, I want to tell you about something else. I had very good friends in seminary who relished self-inflicted suffering by fasting and having nothing but water for the 40 days of Lent. And they claimed that the benefits were immense. But glorifying suffering is not the way of the soul either. Christ responded with man does not live on bread alone. It's not about obsession with our, with our physical being. Obsession with the physical self does not grow and nourish the soul. Humans are tempted to obsess on the physical and to obsess on many things. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdom of the world, its glory and authority and power, and said to Jesus, I own all this, you can have it. And then comes this sentence that for some reason chilled me to the bone. Maybe when you hear it, it'll take you to places. But boy, the devil said, 
I can give all this to anyone I please. And if you worship me, it will be yours. The devil wanted the soul of Jesus, which was excruciatingly threatening to the devil's work. The devil wanted to do away with the Holy Spirit and sacrificial love, which was and is the content of Jesus' ministry. Life of the Holy Spirit lived out in sacrificial love. And Jesus Christ could actually have sold his soul to the devil. He could have done it in that instant and received all the world's power and glory and joined the condition of the world, which is a shrinking soul and an expanded self where God ceases to be worshipped. And this is so insipid, our present need for diminishing God to expand self. I really did consider not preaching about this this morning. I thought, this is about suffering. This is about depression. Do people really want to hear this? And then I realized this is the most joyous message there is. To deny that suffering does not exist will make us crazy. God has turned it around. God is the only one whose approval we must seek. Christ could not compromise. He quoted scripture again and said, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the standard is thrilling. The choice is magnificent because what this means is his choice to serve God in the murky gray, which is the devil's world. There will be a penetrating light on a hill, a hope, a laser beam of hope, salvation from this mess. Jesus' choice will fill those who believe in him through all eternity. Jesus' choice. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's often viewed as the temptation building to the ultimation of trying to test God. But in this temptation, Jesus is confronting our real pain. Do we serve the Lord or do we serve him? And the next temptation is just stupid. It's the devil's stupid idea of power. Satan is smart in knowing our weaknesses and exploiting where we are prone to be tempted, but stupid. He used scripture or tried to use scripture against Jesus. And while we're talking about the devil, this whole passage is about this dialogue between Jesus and the devil. Who is the devil? We can't think of the devil as being another god. That's a dualistic setup that, frankly, we just don't believe in. It's not really helpful to think of the devil as a person running around. But the force of evil does seem to have a personality. And if the force of evil can, has a personality, it can have a face. So that, I believe, is the devil. And the devil stupidly is using scripture against Jesus, which exposes the great Bible myth. Just because you know a lot of scripture doesn't mean you know grace. Anybody can string together a bunch of scripture. And people I have known who have the most profound relationship with Christ know enough to feed them, but they have never been a scholar of the Bible. The great Bible myth. The devil said, if you are the son of God, 
Throw yourself down off the pinnacle, for it is written that the angels will protect you. That's the devil using scripture. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, God has nothing to prove because God is God, is God. And a sure path to despair and hopelessness is the belief that God can be manipulated. The currency is intact. He, Jesus, did not sell out sacrificial love. And the grace-filled work of the Holy Spirit is what is going to prevail. And that is such good news for all of us. Because of his choice, we may be secure. Because of his choice, we know that we are enough. And on the Lenten journey, pain and suffering and wilderness will lose its power and hold on us because of what is represented at this table and because of what has happened on this cross. Let us pray. You have us on this journey together, Lord, for a reason, far beyond our understanding. Help us to know that we are saved by grace. Grace has set us free, and grace will never leave us. We ask now that you be with us in this moment of reflection.